0: Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Laura Froyen, and I'm so glad to have you with me on the Bal- Balance Parent Podcast today, because I am bringing on a guest that I have to say I'm really excited about. She's someone who is a trauma specialist and who I have admired and been helped by so much in my own life. I just feel thrilled that I get to bring her on, and we're going to be talking about trauma and how it can affect children and how to help our kiddos out. So please welcome to the show Irene Lyon. I just love her and adore her. Irene, I'm so glad to have you here. Hey. I'll yeah. stop fangirling it's... now, but will you tell us more oh, no. about yourself and <laughs> good what to you meet do?
1: You. It's good to meet you and make that connection even though you've we known each other for three years, but through the internet. So
0: I know that people listening have the same feeling towards me at times, you know, and so it's mm-hmm. fun to be in that place sit in that chair of just like, wow, somebody I admire, someone I've learned from. And now I get to share you with my community. I'm so excited.
1: Yeah, no, I'm excited for our talk. We're going to talk about some good stuff.
0: Absolutely. So why don't you just start us off and tell us a little bit about yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, who you are and what you do.
1: Well, where shall I start? I am currently sitting in Vancouver, British Columbia. So that's my home in Canada. And I got into this work, not by choice necessarily and not by accident, but I just kind of followed a path after I graduated from high school that just kept me going on these journeys of learning about the human body, learning about biology, physiology, rehabilitation of the physical body, mainly because I had a few very significant injuries to my knees. And my knees were injured through ski racing of all things. So like hurling down a mountain, you know, really fast and all that stuff and had a lot of reconstructions on my knees. So fixing them. And when that was happening in my twenties, I was also studying exercise science and it was the injury that got me interested in studying the body. So I got into that got my degree, my bachelor's degree in science. I was a personal trainer. I was studied in applied human nutrition. I was working at gyms, all that, you know, kind of fitness nutrition thing. I felt like I was missing something. And I knew I was missing something when I had probably, not probably, it was the worst injury of my life. My kneecap, so my patella broke in half spontaneously walking down some stairs after another knee surgery. It's a very long, complicated story, (laughs) but needless to say, there's a reason why mob bosses break people's kneecaps in the movies. It really is one of the more painful things I've ever, I still haven't experienced pain quite like that. So I broke this kneecap of mine, my left one, and had to obviously get surgery, reconstruction. And the recovery after that wasn't so simple. Mm. It was not cut and dry physical therapy, it wasn't just about getting some exercises and stretching and balancing my body, everything in my system had been thrown off. And so everything I had learned in back my bachelor's degree and my fitness degrees and my exercise rehab, you know, trainings, nothing was working for my own system. And so I kind of was like, what the heck am I missing here? Because. I just spent seven years learning in university. My parents just put all this money, you know, into my education and I can't even help myself. So luckily I had a a PT um, who was like, something's not right here. You're clearly fit. You're clearly balanced. Like visually you look fine, but there's something inside, right? (laughs) There's something in, and he didn't even use the word, I think nervous system because That just wasn't how people talked back in like 1999, 2000. Mm -hmm. But he said, you need to go see this other colleague of mine. Who's also a PT, who does something called the Feldenkrais method. I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm super young, right? I had no clue what I was doing. So I went and did this work with this other person and for lack of a better, you know, word or, you know, long story short, I did that work concentrated for four weeks. I stopped all of my PT, all of the massage, all of the Cairo. I did no more stretching. I did no more exercises other than swimming and walking and biking, like the cardio kind of stuff. And I was like completely shifted after four weeks. And what I did now that I understand what happened is I reprogrammed and repatterned my movement. And I got the, the shock out of my system from that, injury from being mm-hmm. on crutches for almost six months and all the things that go with it. Now that helped, that worked. I then decided to study the Feldenkrais method in 2004, did that, loved it, started a private practice and was still working in fitness. But then in 2008, there was a summer where I was just seeing a lot of people who weren't getting better, even with this new thing I had learned. Like what the F is going on? Like I just spent another four years training to work with the human body at a very deep level that helped me, now what am I missing? And so I started asking questions. I'm just always looking for answers. That's how my brain works. And I came across Peter Levine's work. So this is where the trauma stuff comes in and somatic experiencing, which is his body of work and he's still alive to this day. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is another missing piece. And what I learned through finding that and then I trained in that work was that our systems as human beings, we trap traumatic stress. We trap the fight, flight, and freeze, and we can get into that in our systems, but not just in our nervous system, in our tissues, in our bones, in our fascia, in our digestion, in our immune system, in our brain, like in how we relate to the environment. And it just blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, I need to do this and I need to do this hard and study it. So I did. And then even when I finished that, you know, there's always higher levels. So I did more training with him at the masterclass level and then got into another branch of work that came from his work which was founded by a woman by the name of Kathy Kane. And that's important for kids. So I want to bookmark her name, okay? Kathy Kane with a K. And she also is a somatic experiencing colleague. And when when I met her, she was still in private practice and she was teaching, but what she was working with in her practice were adults who were severely unwell, like chronic, severe chronic illness, sensitivities, severe anxiety, health problems, and what she was seeing wasn't classic trauma, like shock trauma, like car accident trauma, that kind mm-hmm. of thing, but this low level chronic stuff that just didn't make any sense. And so with her background in touch and in body work, cause that was her background similar to me, she started experimenting with working with things like the kidneys and the adrenals,
0: mm-hmm. the
1: gut, the brainstem. So parts of the body that are very, they succumb to stress and survival stress very quickly. And so what she discovered was that a lot of these adults, when they were young, they lived in kind of a soup of stress chemistry, whether they were born premature and had lots of surgeries when they were young, whether they had a really stressful, abusive environment, you know, whether there was a lot of strain in the family system because of poverty, neglect, like all these things, and so she started to practice and work with the physiology in a very different way. And then the last thing I'll mention is one of her other colleagues, one of my teachers, also comes from that lens, but also from a lens of children who are adopted, children who have severe troubles when they're young, and how that not only impacts little life, like when we're little, but how that impacts how we develop. So learning with all these amazing teachers, I was just like, holy cow, there's a lot here. I got into private practice and I was in private practice through those whole moments, slowly over time, as we talked before we started recording this, I've been putting things online so we can leave that part for later, but (laughs) that's kind of what I do, I've got these lenses from biology, biomed science. Oh, and within that, I also did a master's degree in research. Forgot that. (laughs) Just that little thing, you know. Just a little thing. I was doing my research in Australia when I was recovering that kneecap injury. Mm -hmm. And it was being in that little seaside town in Australia that led me to this Feldenkrais practitioner that kind of blew my mind open. So it was kind of this cool... It's amazing how things like that. It wouldn't have happened if I was here in Vancouver because that world just hadn't opened up yet here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Tell me a little bit more for our listeners. How does trauma get stuck in our nervous systems? Can you say a little bit more about Mm -hmm. that?
1: So the first thing is to define trauma from the somatic perspective and lens that I come from. So like I'll often say, If anybody watches those shows like Grey's Anatomy and ER, which I have, you know, when someone comes in with the ambulance, they go to the trauma wing or the, you know, it's the ER and they've got a trauma and there's a trauma surgeon. So that's one kind of trauma. Like there's been a gunshot wound, a car accident. They've had a trauma. To me, that's accurate. And then there's this other world that I live in, which is the somatic healing nervous system world. We see trauma not in the event per se, but in the somatic body and in the nervous system. And the reason why we see that is we know that one person who gets into a really, let's, this is my classic example, that if someone gets into a, a really minor accident, like a minor um, car accident, like no scratches to the car, it's like little oof, fender bender, nothing too big. One person who gets that kind of accident will just be like, oh, damn, that sucks. And, you know, there's no damage. They drive away and they're fine, literally. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't have any troubles. They're just 100% the way they were before they got into that little Mm thing. Person B, for example, let's say they get in the exact same little tiny fender bender and their whole life falls apart afterwards. Mm -hmm. They can't get back into a car they get anxiety, like severe anxiety. They can't sleep. They're afraid to leave their house. They start to have symptoms of digestion, headaches, chronic tension, even though it's the tiniest little tap. So we look at that, it's like, well, is the trauma in the accident? In those cases, no. The stress, the traumatic imprint is within their system. And so the question is, well, why did person A just walk away fine with no troubles? and? person B is like a mess, and this is something I would see in practice all the time, my colleagues will vouch for this, is that person B, while they may have been living their lives, fine, and I say that with air quotes, fine, there was already a fullness to their system that was maxed out. Mm -hmm. Already so much stored stress, what we would call even dysregulation, of the autonomic nervous system which is the fight flight and then the other portion is what we would call the freeze and we can go into those branches if you want but they didn't realize typically they don't know that they're already living in that world of high stress high high stored trauma and so when we look at it from that perspective the system dictates whether or not we are resilient whether we bounce back from stress. That yeah. makes sense.
0: Yeah. For, so it could be like the same st- piece of straw. You put it on one person's pile and it's fine, and on you, on the other one, it's the last one that they can handle, and it the it system ex- explodes. explodes. The pile. Yeah. That's yeah. A great way of looking at it. Absolutely.
1: Too. And you know what? What's interesting is when you work with these people. A, it's not their fault. They don't know because it's actually more common. Then we realize in society how many people are walking around with their cups full, Mm -hmm. right? But when you start to question them and inquire in session, in private practice, they start to say, well, yeah, I've never really slept very soundly. I've never had a full bowel movement that's properly formed. I have trouble with my immune system. Whenever I get a cold or the flu, I'm out for six months, right? That's not normal in a healthy system. Yeah getting sick, isn't bad. It's how quick does our system respond to it? Mm -hmm. I always snap at my kids when they want to be expressive. I just can't handle it. Right. And I know that I shouldn't scream at them and send them to the room, but I just can't handle the singing and the dancing. It's too much. Whereas person a their little ones start to sing and dance and they join, they like have fun, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So those are just two little examples, but you start to piece together. And then when you start working with these people, they say, oh yeah, well, yeah, I had that, I had that surgery when I was, oh, I forgot. I had that surgery when I was three to fix a heart defect. It's like, what? You never told me that. <laughs> or yeah, my mom, she had to go away to the hospital for six months because she had whatever problem. And I was left with my real evil aunt. Like I've heard these stories before mm-hmm. and, and they don't think of that as bad because they weren't beaten. They weren't neglected with not, you know, they had what they needed, but there was something that just wasn't right. And so you start to hear these stories and that is a sign. That is the history that shows that that little person, when that big person who's person B, Mm -hmm. whose life fell apart after the car accident, that they actually were under a high level of stress growing up and they didn't have the tools and they didn't have the modeling and the person, the adult mature human, To help them come out of that stress response. And so, what happens, Laura, is that let's just say we have that kid who, you know, is being looked after by the evil aunt or the evil stepmother or whatever you want to call it. It's always the evil stepmother, isn't it? It's never the evil stepfather. <laughs> One of the two. Right. Let's um, not put that on stepmoms. Come no, on. I know. I both. Yeah. The, 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 the adult that is not doing what they should with the kid. We'll just go there. Yeah. You know, they don't realize it, but it really impacts that little system. And that little system never had a chance to cry freely and mm. let that stress out mm-hmm. or scream, I hate you. I want you to die, right? These are the things that little people want to say when they're being harmed. But if they know that if they say that they're going to get more hurt or more shut down, they'll actually shut up Mm. and they'll stop expressing themselves.
0: Okay. So I had a lot of listeners who just right there and in that moment thought to themselves, oh, wait, so you mean what should I do then when my kid says... I hate, I hate you. That. I would think it as a kid. I would think it in my head, yeah. but I would never let myself say it out loud. And my kids say it out loud to me all the time.
1: Yeah.
0: And I welcome it. I help. I try to figure out what's going on that they feel yeah. like that they need to do. You know, I feel very curious about because lots of parents think like that. So disrespectful. I would never have said that to my parents. How come they can speak to me that way? Well, what do we do when they say, I hate you?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think why is the little one saying that is a question to yes so usually okay i'm gonna i'm gonna change a gear go for it example if we think about the wild like if a mother bear has her cute little baby cubs you know they're so cute (laughs) if that mother bear swats the cub because it's about to fall into a hole Right. Or is doing something that's going to harm them, like playing with a bee nest or something. Yeah. like Yeah. Mm-hmm. The little baby bear, the cub, isn't going to say, Mama, I hate you. Why did you just yank me away from that danger? Right. It won't. And it won't for a few reasons. One, they're animals, they're mammals, but they they're not as complex as us with the higher brain. Yeah. And in that environment you have to teach the cub to not do that thing dangerously right because it will risk its survival and basically that's what it comes down to in the wild is survival right so if we think about us as humans god we're so complex because we don't raise our kids exactly the same here as someone would over there versus across the street versus in the southern hemisphere and it's not because we shouldn't raise them the same, it's just we've gone off this track of domesticating plants and animals, industry, agriculture. I mean, it's a long story as to why we're not just treating our babies in the way that we should. So if we think about the the moment when the infant, or not the infant, the toddler, the five-year-old can say that, so one thing would be... Is there a moment in life, either that week, that day, or for four years where the parent, and this is going to be maybe triggering for some, didn't understand their own emotions and survival stress and physiology. Therefore, they didn't allow their offspring, their cubs (laughs) to be truly who they are. And so is there a riff in that healthy aggression in the parent that doesn't have the capacity to maybe enforce a strong boundary and rule. Don't touch that hot stove. Mm -hmm. You don't pull the dog's tail, share with your sister, whatever. Right. You know, you can't have cake for dinner. Like all Mm -hmm. these things, like Mm -hmm. I hate you. I want, it's like, Oh, that's okay. That's fine. But you're, we're going to eat this. This is what we're eating tonight. Right. Anyway. The first thing is, as the adult, and this doesn't have to just be a parent. This can be someone who's working with kids at school, like as a teacher, because God only knows I had some bad teachers growing up who were awful to us. You know, Mm. that that just how were they allowed to even be teachers, the things that they did? And if I think about my parents generation and they're like, you know, being hit with rulers and all these things, the adult mature adult who's handling the child do they have the capacity to listen to their own physiology mm-hmm. and allow their angers and frustrations to come out so that they can then be with the little person and they are immature. We forget that children are totally immature, right? They're little cubs. They need to be learned. They need to learn these boundaries and they also need love, right? The mama bear is never going to make that baby cub sleep in a separate den, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And here we put kids in their own rooms in the darks, even, even infants, we put the baby monitor. There's a need for that connection. So here's, I mean, this is, it goes to so many places here, but it can be so simple as little Johnny really wants to sleep with mom and dad because he's scared because he thinks there's monsters in the closet, but no, you're a big boy. You have to sleep in your room by yourself. He does it. Because if I defy that, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And then the next day at breakfast, when he tries to assert himself, no, I want that for breakfast. No, little Johnny, you have to have this. I hate you. It's not about the food necessarily. He he was denied that soothing, that fear that he had with the monsters in the closet, you know, come into the room, mom, I want to sleep with you go back to your room. And I'm just, this is like an example, right? Yeah. But so there's these ways that these little things we don't think of, they, they show up later Mm -hmm. and it could also be, you know, a little one who had a surgery when they were young and they don't cognitively remember it because pre-verbal like when a baby can't talk, when a kid can't talk yet, they don't log the memory in their cognition. It's somatic. But let's just say a little one was born with a bit of a defect and had to be rushed into hospital or was in hospital, had to be rushed to the ER, had to get fixed. And they sense mom's not here. Why did you let this doctor do this? Even though they don't understand this had to happen Mm -hmm. to save its life, there will be, in many instances, a stored somatic, you didn't protect me. Where were you? Yeah. You know, why did that defect happen? And then this is not the parents' fault. You know, we have no idea why sometimes we do, right? Yeah. But so that can transfer. It might have nothing to do with sleeping or school. It could just be, let's just say little Johnny is finally old enough to say what he wants and punch his fists, and then all of a sudden that old somatic imprint of why did you let me go to that ER? Like, why did you leave me alone? Why didn't you come with me? Mm -hmm. Even though he doesn't cognitively get it, there is an anger. It's visceral. It's visceral. The thing I've learned, Laura, of all the years working with parents and kids, because I've worked with some kids, they are not trying to harm us. Of course not, right? They're not trying to be difficult. They're not causing a tantrum so that we can't go do our grocery shopping. Like it's not, it doesn't compute. They are putting out something like I hate you because somewhere along the lines, maybe we misattuned to them. And that's not a crime. That's just part of learning to be a human in this world where there isn't the simplicity of mama bear has cubs and just protects the crap out of it. And doesn't have anything else to do for the most part. And that's all she does. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, if you thought about that for a second, it's like, my God, imagine if every single human, you know, utopia had pregnancies that were filled with joy and sleeping whenever you wanted and having the food you craved when you craved it. Mm -hmm. had massages and just chill and bathing and then you have the baby in this beautiful environment where there's no fluorescent lights I mean and we're getting to that more women are wanting to have their babies in home without the stress
0: yeah but also in a culture where you're not going to have to go back to work in six weeks even in a year because a child's nervous system is still super underdeveloped at a year yeah I mean for dads too, or that, you know, we don't have work schedules that demand our presence Mm -hmm. for so long. And so then of course we need unbroken sleep. It's our whole system is not set up to support optimal development for children.
1: Our system in certain countries, I would say there are some countries in Europe, namely Scandinavia, and I'm not good at pulling stats out of my brain, but I know that Iceland in the past has been written about because they get some crazy amount yeah, maternity and paternity leave no questions asked like you don't have to be working with a company like mm-hmm. as a, it's like universal yeah right like self-employed yeah. if I was to have a kid I wouldn't get maternity leave like I'd have to save to be able to not work for say two years
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is what I would want to do because I know how important that development is and so if I think about my mother is from the Philippines um, and when I go back And I've been to the Philippines many times to the barrio, the little village. Those babies aren't in their own room. Mm -hmm. They're not in a crib. They're sleeping on the mattress on the floor with five other family members. Mm -hmm. It's on the mother when they're cooking. There's no fancy devices. There's no toys at all. I'm dead serious here. They're just played with. They're interacted with. They're passed along to all of the the family, and this and this is you know in a healthy environment. Because of course, there's also unhealthy environments in such countries, but there's a bit more of that kind of in arms, as we would call it, the continuum mm-hmm. concept. Jean Lidloff, who wrote yeah. about this beautiful book, in arms child rearing, but it's not this fancy thing. It's what animals in the wild do. Right. They carry their babies all the time. They don't leave them. I mean, sometimes they might have to leave them for very, for whatever reason, obviously birds do that. Mammals primarily are kept very safe and protected until they can fend for themselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think there's a lot of pressure on parents. And I I do want to take us back into the kind of what do we do if we see our our kid has a kind of an overflowing nervous system. But I do want to just mention that there is a lot of pressure. And I think like there's this ideal way, the way that human animal babies are meant to be cared for and nourished. And then there's the reality that humans are in right now. And so there's so much room for grace and compassion, and just, you know, full acceptance of whatever experience it was that the people who are listening found themselves in without any pressure or judgments on kind of what was available to you at, at the time, the knowledge yeah. that was available to you, the resources, because it, yeah. it, in our world, it takes a very well-resourced family to be able to have that type of existence. I know. It's very because hard. It's so hard. You know, it's, it's so very hard.
1: hard. And I mean, you know, I have a saying that I don't know when I started saying this, but it goes along the lines of there. it's no one's fault and it's everyone's fault. And it's very Jordan B. Peterson, right? It's like, it's kind of this, we have to realize that we didn't know, but we also have to realize that now we know and we have to do better. Yeah. And, you know, it's such an interesting thing because parents that i have worked with who have and this is what's so cool laura right and i know we want to get into those other pieces but if we think about trauma so you asked me about trauma and where, what is it it's intergenerational it's yeah trans, right it, it transfers mm-hmm. through generations i even believe and a lot of people don't like this but past life trauma i believe in that i believe in a soul and a carrying on of us past when we die and all these things. And I've seen people who have stopped the entire lineage of their ancestry and have healed it in a matter of a few years. If we think about that, if we really look at the macro, when you have the right science and the right practices and the right mindset, We can actually shift some of these really insane ways that we've raised our young in a matter of like a couple of years and for some that might seem before you look at it that way it's like what i have to do this work on myself for two to three years to be able to (laughs) it's like yeah but think about how long that lineage of dysregulation and not allowing you to express and feel and how that wasn't allowed from your parents and their parents and their parents. And now sure your kids 12 and yeah, you did some bad things when you were young with them and you didn't know, but now you can work on yourself and that 12 year old is picking 12 for some reason, sees that mom or dad is moving and having fun in the kitchen, or is setting a boundary in ways that feels good as opposed to toxic. Mm-hmm. And, it, and you start to shift these things. And then that little 12 year old who has a life ahead of them, then starts to have this different energy around yeah. them. And it's just, it's brilliant to see. And I've seen it enough times to know that, yeah, we've done some stuff that hasn't been right. And it's actually important, I think, to say, yeah, that was wrong. And that sometimes isn't liked. We can say you did the best you could and you did, and that was also wrong and that's okay. We have to shift it. We have to heal the effects of that thing that was wrong. And it's like with kids, when they do something wrong, we actually have to tell them that's not right, right? This is part of healthy shame, Mm -hmm. which is another controversial topic, right? It's like, but that child, they don't hear with a strong, stern voice, don't touch the hot stove, don't do that strongly it won't viscerally register and they won't know they won't learn right and so i think we've gotten a little afraid to be stern with compassion not just with our kids but with ourselves even
0: yeah you know it's funny my um, my kid <laughs> everybody listening will probably think i'm the they know me to be so kind and so compassionate and so loving sure. um, but my kids call me strict and stern good at times <laughs> And so and that's that delicate balance a boundary and a limit can be held firmly yes with grace and compassion and yeah. kindness at
1: the same time they're not mutually exclusive No and and if they have a boo boo cuz they just fell off their bike you're going to love them up and take care of them and not get mad at them for falling off their bike Of course not no Exactly and that's the discernment right that I think yeah. is missing it's like oh well she's saying to have these strong rules and boundaries but then when my little one starts crying for no reason, what do I do then? And the thing is, is that's a great question. If someone's at that interface being like, that shows that they're stopping their reaction and being like, okay, what should I do here? Yeah. And if someone doesn't know, again, this is the whole, it's not your fault, but it's everyone's fault. We don't know because somewhere when we were young, we mm-hmm. weren't given that. And it's like, okay, I need to ask for help. Well, what, and then I might say, well, what is your gut feeling? It's like, well, I just want to hug them. It's like, well, just hug them. No right. lesson will be
0: lost. No, like, yeah. not like. Yeah. there's so much time. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So
1: I feel like there's two
0: directions I could go here. Mm-hmm. One is, like, I am certain that there are p- listeners who are recognizing as we're having this conversation okay. that they themselves are the person who has this kind of full cup. Their nervous system is loaded right yeah. now because of things that have happened in their past because of a year of living in a pandemic, like all of those <laughs> yeah. things, right? Yeah. And then there also are people mm-hmm. who are listening who are thinking, Like okay, I recognize this in my own child. Like I, my oldest has a a history of trauma. I recognize so much of her and what you're saying. You know, so she, we had a traumatic birth. She had breathing issues, and so had a a NICU stay with forced separation, where I was not allowed to hold her or touch her for twelve hours. It's, It's still there for her too. She and I cry together. And she has another one other significant trauma. She was in a, a bicycling accident where she was mm-hmm. run over by a bicyclist mm-hmm. and broke her leg. And so, like, mm-hmm. I can see, it, I've always seen this in her nervous system. And doctors never believed me mm-hmm. in her, like, in her immune system. Like, you know, when she gets sick, she gets really sick. Mm-hmm. Like, high fever, fast. I've always yeah. seen that in her. That's evening out and soothing, but she's always been super, super sensitive, super mm-hmm. just, just loaded, just loaded. And so like if, I, and I know lots of my listeners, because they find me because they've got yeah. a kiddo like this. So I know lots of my listeners have a kiddo who, whether or not they can pinpoint the stories so yeah. clearly as I can, I was looking for them because just because of the background I have, who have these kids that they can see that their nervous system is at capacity. Right. Yeah, strained. So what do we do for the, How can we help our kiddos is what I would love to ask you.
1: The first thing I think what just happened where your emotion came in was super important, because it clearly is still very alive in the field. And that's okay. And then I'll also say, if we think so I'm going to I'm going to paint the picture. So she was born, it was traumatic when a little one has some kind of trauma at birth and there's so many things that happen, right? Their system goes into what we would call a near death, preparing for death state. And when they're that, was she full term? You know, when she came out, her nervous system was working. The autonomic nervous system was working and that her, you know, her digestion was probably working, her urine development immune system, not so much when we're born, right? It develops those sorts of things, but her system would have gone into a shock. And then you take, you know, into the, the in and separation, there can then be, and again, I'm just, this is not necessarily her because you don't know all the story, but I'm making it very general. Her system can go into then what we would call when it realizes no one's coming what we would call collapse. So I mentioned fight freeze, but so like the bear's coming and I'm like trying to fight off the bear or, oh my God, I can't get away from the bear, or the tiger, I better start running, that's the fight, flee, I'm gonna flee from the danger. If I realize that I ain't getting away from that bear or that tiger, my system will go into what's called a freeze state to numb out the pain of my you know, throat about to being you know, taken by this animal that just wants to eat me because he's hungry. Gruesome visual, but it proves the point. (laughs) And so I go into that shutdown. Now, here's what's interesting. In the wild, if I am like the Impala, I get eaten and I'm done. Like, that's it. If the tiger or the lion or whatever gets distracted, I then run away. I'm fine. I go back to my herd and everything's groovy. I don't talk about it after that. But if we think about a little one, they're in a distress fighting for their life. They then get help. They don't know though, that what's helping them is helpful. They just know danger, danger, danger. Something's not right. And usually what occurs is a collapse of their system. Of course, because your daughter is alive and well, they survive. And so humans are so interesting because we've got this resilience to just keep going even when we have these survival stressors because she has you you know and she has probably her things and her books and whatever it might be that keeps her engaged so we like we add this engagement that helps us but then there's still this underlying stress physiology that's running in front of our bus so to speak And so the first thing to go back to your question, it's super important for parents to understand this deep science. And the reason why is because when we can understand at that physiological level and accept, yep, she almost died. She didn't thank God, you know, thank your gods or whatever you do for that bless gratitude, but then, okay. But she's also a little animal that went into near death was, you know, recovered but there's still a shock in the system. And the shock it sounds like is caught in the immune system. And this is just now what you said about the fever in the autonomic system of regulation. And when something comes in that is remotely foreign it's like the entire army gets ready to yeah it's like like, okay we got it because when she was little she was like she couldn't fight yeah she just had to be there and so this is where i get excited because there's so much complexity to this because we see there might not be this connection with the pediatrician or the specialist that that gut problem or that inability to process dairy for example Mm -hmm. using that as dairy is not bad but just whatever has nothing to do with the dairy or the food or the fiber or the pollens in the air from spring, because it's springtime now, so your allergy season's there. That immune system was on hyper alert when she was an infant, and so it knows how to go into hyper alert mode as as a child. And a lot of the doctors, they won't make that connection. So A, I've made that connection for everyone here. It's not a coincidence if there's a behavioral problem or an anger problem or a digestive problem or a cognitive problem if you know there was intense stress and it hasn't been dealt with head on. And so um, does that make sense before I go on? Oh, it makes complete
0: sense to me. I mean, this is I've always just intuitively known this about about her that there is a you know, when she has a reaction that just looks so big it's our kind of our training, our cultural conditioning to be like, that's not okay. Yeah, that's yeah. All an overreaction. Yeah. And maybe perhaps it is, but it's that overreaction. It's very easy to see that that is not within her willful control. That that, that is just how she's
1: wired right now to react. Exactly. Yeah. This is why the, the understanding of the theory is super important. Because when you can understand the language of the autonomic nervous system... And that fight, flight, freeze. Yeah. And then you have it, she's eight. She's eight, yeah. Eight. So you have an eight year old, a six year old, a seven year old, a 16 year old, a 50 year old. <laughs> it doesn't matter. So, because it, it carries with us. That's the other stuff with these early things, they don't go away with time. And so, someone who's 70 years old may have had that birth trauma, like you just talked about. And they've never made the connection that their outbursts of anger, or digestive problems, or their autoimmunity, or their depression is caused from that early imprint. And we know through the research, namely the adverse childhood experiences study, that it's pretty—it's not even a theory now. It's pretty damn—it's science, yeah. Like this is true. Like when there is this early adversity, this happens. So. And there's exactly. the epigenetic piece of it too. And then there's yeah. there's that too.
0: My daughter is also the great granddaughter of an Auschwitz survivor too. And so there's that piece
1: of it that just just there. So she's got the potential to be this insanely amazing human, which she is, because these things that she's feeling are going to give her so much capacity to understand all these things. Like it's kind of cool when you think about it. Yeah. The understanding of the education is important, and then the next thing, and this is by no means like a step list that I, I'm just these are things that are coming. Do not underestimate what might need to happen for that healing to occur. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share a vignette of um, a case that I know of where the little the little human had brain surgery when they were really young, like massive problem with something. I don't even remember what it was. So lots of surgeries, Laura, like tons and tons. And then as she grew up, there was this huge developmental delay, anger, maybe even classified on the spectrum, which I don't love that. Cause it's like, well, this is a trauma response coming out. Mm-hmm. Her system is screaming. And then the work that was done to help wasn't teaching her how to manage her anger, how to read and write. It was literally, allowing her to rage against the doctors that operated on her when she was an infant. And so things like taking, you know, I'm just this this is my husband's story, but taking the skeleton that we have in our office, like we have a skeleton with eyes and bones and she wanted to hurt it. Mm-hmm. And so he let her, he let her light matches and burn his eyes out mm. with complete psychopathic annihilation anger, not in a way that was destroying to her. There was so much anger, so much. I hate you back to that. I hate yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so he let her make believe and he, he she's not going to hurt the skeleton. It's, you know, an inanimate object, but the feeling of getting her rage, rage out was so important. But then after time and time and time, she yeah. wanted to then heal him let's patch Mr. Skeleton up. Mm -hmm. And so they would take band-aids and they would color things on him. And slowly over time, the behaviors changed, the attention changed, the fear changed. That's just a vignette to show parents and anyone who works with kids, the kid knows what needs to be done to heal. It's us, the big person or the therapist who has to let go of all reason?
0: Yeah. We get in the way. Oh, but we like, I mean, we have to trust our kids.
1: I teach a a course
0: where I I teach parents how to do play therapy with their kids.
1: Awesome.
0: And it's so much of it is exactly this teaching them that, you know, just because they want to cut the head off their doll does not mean that there's some psychopathic thing. They've just got some thing that they're processing. We don't even have to know what it is. No, like it's not There's our no concern need. it's not our business
1: no. just trust Whatever. them they'll do trust it <laughs> and like what's interesting about what you said is like if that doesn't come out this is what leads to people yeah others later in life I mean the stories that are out there around um Ted Kaczynski the Unabomber mm-hmm. I have a video on that actually I don't want to get into the full story because we could spend an hour on it <laughs> but that is an important one to follow up because he was put in a hospital at age six weeks for a week strapped down in a bed left alone in a room I think it was six weeks oh my god he had a rash all over his body and so they probably pumped him with steroids to take the rash down I mean I get angry just thinking about it and then the mother because the mother's been interviewed like what the heck happened it's like well I don't know he was a really happy baby until this happened and when I got him home from the hospital and I think about it that was probably in the 40s 50s i'm not sure the age that he's at now he was not the same he had collapsed he was limp less listless there was no energy in him and so then we look at what occurred in his life he went on to harm other people deeply so do not underestimate the power that the kid has to heal themselves we have to facilitate it we have to allow them to express all emotion Mm -hmm and not try to reason with them. This has never happened with me, but one of my instructors, Steve, like he's worked with kids who have suffered severe trauma and adoption trauma and all this. He's been punched in the face and bitten many times by little five-year-olds who are coming out of their shock. Hmm. So they're living in a freeze-collapse state. And so someone might be like, well, what the heck do we do? Sometimes it's the play. Sometimes we have to do more specific um it's called kidney adrenal work where we're actually talking to the stressed organs that ramped up the armor to fight mm-hmm. so we have to like sometimes it's just intention sometimes it's actual manually working with them sometimes really good osteopathic work is beautiful for little people working with their bones and their their nerves and all of that mm-hmm. but he's been working with people where little susie comes out of her deep shutdown and her animal comes out, she's not thinking, bites the arm. That's where the I hate you comes out, but it's not I hate you. It's like, get the F off of me. And then, of course, this is where the parents need education, Mm because usually the parents are in that room, right, at that age. They're never left alone with the therapist, I hope. Parents are like, oh, and if they don't understand that that is progress, the little one will hear the gasp, "Oh, oh, no, don't do that, and then you screwed it up. Yeah,
0: you shut it down.
1: And so this is why parents need to understand, and they have to work on their own capacity to let their anger out. Let what aggressions are they holding in? What tears are they holding in? Cause if we're as adults, our, if our cup is full back to that car accident analogy, mm-hmm. if our cup is full and we don't know how to cry when we're sad, if we don't know how to say to our husband or wife, that's not nice don't, don't talk to me like that. Or, Hey, you forgot to, like, if we don't have that boundary, that healthy aggression, how are we going to allow these little immature animal cubs of ours to be who they are or to heal these old things? Right. And you cannot Um, give
0: what you do not have. You
1: can't. And so that's again, why I always say the first thing is understanding the science and the nervous system. And what's interesting, Laura, is when a parent can open up to that, or a caregiver or a teacher they start to see things the lens changes the lens they don't yeah see that weird behavior as something to be changed or corrected or punished but they get curious with it you're drawing a bunch of knives what's going on there like tell yeah. me about that like what do those mean rather than you should only be drawing rainbows.
0: Yeah, we don't have to be afraid of those things. And I think that, you yeah. know, this is, of course, not to say to anybody listening that we think you should just let your kid hit you or bite you. No. Of course not. No. It's about understanding where it comes from and the very natural and somewhat healthy thing that is happening here because our bodies, our nervous systems, our brains are desperate for healing. They want to heal. They, want. they want to. Yeah. They want to be whole and healed. And so. Yeah. And so of course, no, we're not saying you just let your kid hit you, but you understand that they're not hitting you because they're a bad kid or because they don't like you. They're hitting you because their nervous system's overwhelmed. They're attempting to, Mm -hmm. they're in that state, that fight or freeze state.
1: And it depends on the age, right? Like if it's an infant, and this is why observation is so critical. Like if there's an infant doing some odd motions of their hands And you can tell that it's not just a playing movement and I'm kind of moving my arms right now, but it's got a very distinct pattern that keeps happening and maybe they are hitting us. Let it happen so that that can be completed Mm. or play with that movement. It's like, oh, you're trying to do something. Let's see if we can help you as opposed to stop that. We have to look at these asymmetrical movement patterns that might come out that don't represent just general exploration of the limbs when there's an infant if we think about a child who let's just say is having a fit and maybe it's just because they had a terrible day at school and they hate their teacher that's where we need to let them get it out but depending on the age that's where we have to teach okay okay Okay, and we don't even want to say, you know, stop that. It's like, okay, okay, let's find something, like, let's stomp our feet, let's growl. Yeah. You know, so we don't want to say stop that because they're naturally getting it out and expressing what has to get out. If it's a teenager who has more strength, that's a bit trickier because they are now their own more adult human. They need autonomy, but you also don't want them to hurt like literally hurt you or their siblings of course, or yeah. the space like a five-year-old isn't going to destroy a house in the way that say, right. a 16-year-old will right. and a 16-year-old might be able to drive right and and harm themselves in that way but it's like okay I see you're really pissed like what do we need to do, do we need to go play boxing like what what yeah. is it like let's yes. come on let's fight but let's not hurt each other right and so you got to be really creative with the age And I say that because someone's like, oh, well, she just said that biting my arm is okay. But you're certainly not going to want your 16-year-old son to bite your arm because that might cause some real damage. But a five-year-old, not so much.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, maybe we don't want our five-year-old biting our arm. But, like, if you need to bite right now, here, I've got something for you to bite. Bite it. Pretend it's me. You know, if you need to pretend it's me, bite it. Pretend it's me. Here, this is the part, you know, this is what yeah. you can fight or, you know, yeah. hitting is good. Hit, yeah. Hitting, you need to hit right now. Your body yeah. is wise. Here, hit yeah. this pillow. Yeah. I'm right here with you. Hit it right yeah. next to me. Yeah. Accept. I accept. I welcome, you know, all of
1: those things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah.
1: There are some tools and I have a video, Laura, I'll share with you that you can share with Oh, folks, please. Yeah. Where tools are good. And I have a few that I can, I did a video showing different tools to squeeze and hit and stomp. And there's a way that you can do that where like, if a kid wants to squeeze using the forearm mm. our, like if, if I had and my husband and I do this and he's like a big 200 pound guy, like he, if he gets angry about something and if I've done something to piss him off, like he will, I will let him squeeze my arm. Yeah. And the forearm is actually a really safe arm to squeeze. Yeah, not, it's not. The bicep is different because of the arteries in there. But I have this video where I'm squeezing his arm. I'm getting some anger out about something that happened to me. Sometimes, depending on the situation, that is a lovely way to get that tactile feel, especially with the little ones, because sometimes they actually need to feel that aggression come out in contact with another yeah. human breathing biological system but again you got to differentiate you got to discern and understand what it is that you're doing cuz you don't want either person to get hurt obviously
0: right and full permission to if you have your own trauma background and history like something like that could be incredibly triggering to you to have have yeah. that happening like if you know, you if you're like, having your child do those things. And and of course, yeah. full consent, you know, and not ever within an abusive relationship, not where no, there's no, no, abusive no. patterns. You know, I'm just yeah, putting I that container of, you know, for liability purposes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, if, if a person's like, what? Squeeze my arm and they instantly feel a, a trigger or an activation, then no, you wouldn't want to do that. Wouldn't want to
0: do it. Listen to your like, wise
1: body. Exactly. It's sort of like you even... Getting aggression out by growling for some people is too activating Mm because their healthy aggression is never allowed to express when they were young. Yeah. And working with the adults that I have in my programs, like it takes sometimes months or years to build enough capacity for someone to even go like like that. Interesting. And, And for someone who just is like, oh, that's easy. For some people, it's terrifying and so this is why a lot of the way we've taught getting out anger is just so not accurate, because if a person's system saw anger in a violent way or was never allowed to express their anger and healthy aggression, mm-hmm. it's like it's like speaking a foreign language and being terrified to even try.
0: Yeah, Oh, that's and, so interesting and- to me. So my I, every all my yeah. listeners know that my girls are constantly pretending to be dragons. Cool. And I don't know <laughs> yeah. if you know, but dragons are quite loud. They roar very aggressively. Yeah. It's a lovely outlet for their aggression. But there yeah. are certainly times when my cup is filled. And there, there's this one specific sound that they will do sometimes that is just... Like it just is too much for me. And that's really interesting. And I like I was not my soft emotions were welcomed as a child, but my aggressive emotions, like emotions, my anger, not at all in Mm. no like, "Mm, that's super interesting. You've given me something to chew on
1: there. Chew on it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That would be a good one to chew on. And based on the history that you shared with your daughter, I'm going to make very big sweeping. guess. (laughs) that like you said you two cry a lot together and that's wonderful if we were to take that one step further what is under the tears and with anger and sadness and grief they flip so a lot of times if someone like you said you were good with soft emotions growing up and that's wonderful but sometimes tears are masking deep deep aggression mm, Interesting. And sometimes deep deep aggression is masking deep sadness Mm. right Mm -hmm. and it's kind of you know we typically see and I'm going to make again a generalization typically men and boys are taught a bit more to be angry and aggressive Mm -hmm. and it keeps them from crying and then girls are typically taught you can be emotional and cry but you certainly can't show your anger yeah and here's the thing humans are humans and of course (laughs) Hormones dictate those, you know, the, the the female is typically has more of that oxytocin connection, nurture, and that's to me fine. But we have, we both, all of us have the same six basic primal human emotions. Mm-hmm. And so it'd be fun to like play with that, I think, and be like, hmm, wonder what's under there that could be explored so that both of you could explore that healthy aggression in a healthy contained way. And mm-hmm. she might be able to even help you bring some of that. Up.
0: Yeah. 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 You no, know, th- you're giving me some really interesting things to chew on. Mm. I know so many women who, when they are angry, they cry. So many. That's very interesting. Well, Irene, I feel like I could just. We could talk forever for hours. Yeah. Thank you so much for your wisdom. I want to make sure because I guarantee there's going to be people who are like, this is I need this. I need more support. Where can they go and find you?
1: Yeah, it's just my name.com. So Irene Lion with a Y mm-hmm. lionscom And that's my site. And that just can take you down the rabbit hole of Articles and videos and my resources and downloads and, of course, my online programs. I have a drop-in class that I do once a month that kind of guides people through the basics. All that is there. I'm not doing private practice anymore, but don't underestimate, I'll say to everyone, the power of the online resources. I would say that because of the way they're formulated, it really can help a person gain that capacity to start to bring up these natural emotions that really when our nervous system has good regulation and our life force energy is back the emotions just come in a natural way right as opposed to trying to work with the emotions and figure them out if we figure out those fight flight freeze elements the somatic self and we get that lens on board not that it's simple and it happens like in a week and that's not how it works but the other stuff, the behavior shifts, the emotions shift, the boundary shift kind of spontaneously when you do that more somatic nervous system work. So Yeah,
0: it's about yeah. capacity. It's capacity. And so I think if those of you who are listening who feel like your capacity is just, Shot. There's no capacity. There's no space. These are good options for you. Yeah. This is not about oftentimes I think parents are looking for, you know, what do I say? You know, what do I yeah. do? What are the things I say? And And if we are in a place where we are losing it with our kids, where we feel overwhelmed and like we have no capacity, the work is inward. The work is with us. Yeah. And yeah. uh, so, thank you for yeah. for doing this You're work welcome. and holding these spaces for for folks who have work to do. We all we all do. We all
1: have work to do. Yes, yeah. No one gets out. No one gets out of this without doing. I mean, of course, people can choose not to. But um, yes, there's all. We all have something that we can work on and heal and and master to a greater level. So, yeah, everyone's everyone can contribute to the the healing of all of us. Um, but yeah it does take it it comes down to that building of capacity mm-hmm. and don't underestimate how that can trickle out into every aspect. yes
0: it's not self-serving or you know it is it trickles out it affects every single aspect of every person and system you come into contact with
1: yeah yes ma'am yeah
0: beautiful well thank you again yes. I so appreciate you